Hi, welcome to Help with Parkinson's. This is episode number 16. I'm your host, Warren Butfinick, and our guest today is Dr. Suramanian from Hershey Medical Center. And we're going to be talking about rock steady boxing, something that's been on a lot of people's minds lately. Welcome, Dr. Sue. Hi, Warren. Thanks for asking me to be there. Yeah, thanks for coming. So uh, this is a very common issue now because I've been getting calls from different people, my relatives, and different people at the support group are asking me about it. It seems like it's a very hot topic right now, rock steady boxing. And I'm sure you've had your share of patient requests about information on that. Yes. Uh, there have been many people who have been asking about it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, doing the research on this, it seems like it's uh, not a godsend, not, not, nothing that you can't do on your own, but uh, it seems like it's a social thing and it, won't hurt you, and it, it, it can make you feel better, but it's not, you don't have to drop all your other types of exercise to do this because it doesn't seem to me like there's too much difference. Could, could you expand on that, Dr. Sue? Yes. So um, Rocksteady Boxing is a um, group exercise activity, and it, it kind of um, – pitches on the idea of big and loud where people were making large movements in physical therapy. So uh, by using uh, moves that people use for boxing, uh, for example, uh, punching a bag and uh, otherwise uh, making movements with the feet and hand that are coordinated as if you're trying to box somebody, actually um, was put together as a package to help Parkinson's patients uh, regain some of their balance, their strength, um, as well as uh, mobility. Um, this has been investigated. There's been a couple of research uh, projects that have uh, happened. Susan Coombs, who's a therapist, uh, initially published her first paper uh, in uh, about uh, a few years ago. I think uh, four or five years ago, she published a first case series of about 12 uh, to 13 subjects who underwent this type of uh, uh, exercise program. And as a result of the exercise program, she reported that uh, patients did better from, from this activity. Now, the caveat with this paper is that it was an open-label study. People knew what they were getting into, and it, there was no placebo control. Uh, there was not even a crossover uh, period in this uh, to study how it compares with other types of exercises. Um, but because of the group uh, social activity, where you are doing it as a group, you're kind of relating to others, clearly there was psychological benefits for doing this group activity. So the long and short of it, based on a number of uh, similar case report series, is that Indeed, people who don't do any exercise at all, they don't get out of their couches and they don't do anything. They don't even go for a walk. For such individuals, um, certainly getting into a group activity where there is motivation, there is a coach, there is somebody who's actually telling them to do different things and you feel good about doing it, is certainly a great activity. So it actually gets people to move. So it's a wonderful thing and it, it encourages Parkinson's patients to get into a physical activity that they never did before. Now, beyond that, though, uh, 
rock study boxing is not the solution for Parkinson's disease. So it shouldn't be taken that way. People shouldn't be thinking, oh, if I do exercise, I can beat Parkinson's disease. That's certainly not the case. And if you're already doing good exercise and you've already seen your physical therapist and the physical therapist has already told you how, what to do and you're consistently doing your exercise at home on a regular basis, there's certainly no virtue in adding on rock study boxing on top of it. Um, and there is no additional benefit by doing rock study boxing or similar type of uh, group activity if you're already doing a good set of exercises on your own. Now, in addition to that, um, that particular exercise that is targeted by rock study boxing is not the ideal exercise for Parkinson's disease. There are many other studies that has been done, including by a physical therapist, where they looked at cognitive motor learning tasks. These are exercises that involve actually uh, learning a motor coordinated activity. Uh, for example, walking a straight line where you have to learn how to balance uh, or going up and down steps without holding to the banister. These type of activities which require your brain to do some sort of planning have been shown to actually be more beneficial for Parkinson's disease in the long run. Um, and so there are advantages to doing rock study boxing. There's no doubt about it. And those advantages are primarily for people who don't do any exercise or minimal exercise. For them, going into a group class and being motivated to do stuff together with um, other people who have similar illness and also the camaraderie that it generates, the group wellness feeling that it generates certainly has major advantages, no doubt about it. However, it should not be thought of as the solution to Parkinson's disease. And if you just do it, then you can beat Parkinson's. That's just really not true at all. And that's just hype associated with it. One other aspect that's important uh, is that rock study boxing is a paid activity. You have to pay to attend the class. And typically, uh, the costs vary from each group to the other, but it's not entirely free. Um, whereas if you go, for example, a medically directed therapy class, like, for example, physical therapy, your insurance probably pays for the 15 days that you get the therapy. And then if you learn that and you do it on your own, now that's the key part. Many people go to physical therapy, but they don't do anything afterwards. Uh, they learn for 15 days and they don't continue it, which is what you're supposed to do. Then you could get this benefit for free. However, uh, rock study boxing will motivate you more because there are people there. There's uh, camaraderie, as I said before, and there's this feeling that you're doing something together. And that togetherness feeling or the feeling of uh, camaraderie that comes with it certainly has some benefits. Um, and that's one aspect of this rock study boxing that's important to keep in mind. That's a good explanation. And uh, I think this is sort of a following the lead of the forced exercise program that people used to do mm -hmm. with uh, tandem bicycles mm -hmm. or things that were treadmill that get speeded up faster than you normally would do. Mm -hmm. It's uh, sort of like that. And that even that they couldn't really prove 
that it did anything different than regular exercise. Right. So historically, um, exercise has been um, investigated by a number of investigators in the field of Parkinson's uh, since the last 50 years or so. And one of the largest studies that was done was funded by our tax dollars by the National Institute of Health, NIH. And here, uh, over 900 patients were randomized with uh, Parkinson's disease into four groups. Uh, One group had uh, self-directed yoga, tai chi, and that type of stretch type of exercises. And this was uh, put together as a single program. It was taught to them um, at one visit. However, they're supposed to do this on their own, their homes. And then another group was given uh, physical therapy, again, directed by a therapist and taught. And they went to classes. They came um, three times a week for these classes. Um, And then there was a third group. The third group was just given a video uh, and a video of how to do exercises. Um, And they were supposed to look at it themselves and do this by themselves. And then the last group was no intervention. No exercise was uh, given to them. They were just given medications and they were said, just do what you normally do. There's no special exercise involved. And these patients were followed uh, for a very long period of time. The whole study was a five-year study funded again by the National Institute of Health. And what they found out that out of the 900 some people, um, after all the dropouts, a number of people drop out, and uh, there was only about 460 people who actually completed this study. Out of the 460, the people who had the most benefit, the sustained benefit, were the people who did exercise on a daily basis based on either group one, group two, or group three, the three groups that were given interventions. And interestingly, the small number of people who just did the exercise based on the video that they were given did as good as the other two groups who had a therapist who directed how to do the exercise or the Tai Chi instructor who instructed how to do Tai Chi. So the moral of the story or the the back end of the story is that if you're motivated, if you actually sustain your your exercise program every day and do it on a sustained basis, they get the most benefit. And the benefit is beyond just the exercise period, which is also interesting because uh, at the end of the study, they told them to stop doing the exercises. And some of them did and some of them didn't. So out of the 460 people, about 200 of them actually stopped doing exercises. And they followed this patient for another six months. And what they found out was the people, even on the people who actually stopped the exercises, they had the benefit if they had done the exercises consistently during the five-year period. In other words, stopping the exercise after doing it for a good period of time actually remains, the benefit remains, even after the exercise is stopped, suggesting that something changes in your brain if you do sustained daily exercise. So the point, again, I think the important point for the listeners is that whatever you do, if you choose an exercise, do that exercise consistently on a daily basis, even if you do it for a short period of time, 15 minutes of exercise, but do it every day and do it, sustain same exercise again and again and again, then you're going to um, get the benefits of it and the benefits are going to be sustained beyond the period of actual exercise. That's that's good. So um, you don't really have to pay for this, but the idea is 
the boxing drills could be very enjoyable for some of the Parkinson's. You've got the uh, punching bags, lateral footwork, stretching, strengthening, endurance. And there's trainers there. There's volunteers. There's a, it's just an enjoyable atmosphere. It's, you could think of it as a support group with exercise. Exactly. Exactly. I, I agree with you completely. I think that's that, that part you cannot deny. That's a great thing. That's a wonderful right. thing. And nobody's going to um, argue against that. And I certainly feel that for those, those people, those patients who don't do any exercise um, and they don't actually engage in any kind of activity, uh, this could be a great motivational factor to get in. Right. And I think it's interesting to keep in mind that this activity is similar to what happened a few years ago when tango dancing became the rage. So for those of you who remember, um, five years ago, a New York uh, dancer who was a tango dancer uh, developed Parkinson's disease. And she um, then motivated a bunch of her colleagues in Broadway to uh, start tango classes. A number of uh, Parkinson patients in New York started doing tango. And they actually created a off-Broadway show in which able-bodied tango dancers would dance with Parkinsonian tango dancers. And that led to a bunch of uh, programs regarding dancing for Parkinson's disease. In fact, in the, uh, this our local area in central Pennsylvania area, there used to be two or three dance teachers who um, taught tango dancing for Parkinson patients. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still going on, but uh, it was the rage for a while. Prior to that, there was a time when skipping, you know, uh, you just get a skipping rope and do skip jumping, was uh, a big rage. And the skipping for Parkinson's was a big deal. I remember in the late 90s, uh, there was a lot of um, uh, hype about people trying to do skipping for uh, Parkinson's disease as a major activity. So um, uh, that activity is also... Uh, potentially uh, comparable to tango dancing and to uh, comparable to the uh, uh, boxing or skipping or any of those things. They're all uh, exercises. Uh, that That's a common feature uh, to all of them. And also there's uh, drumming. Yes, that's right. I, I, I meant, failed to mention that. Yes, drumming is the other thing. Uh, which, I, I think... There's virtually good from all of them. They all have some benefits, but um, they're not special in, in any sense. So we were talking about drumming, uh, Warren, and I think that's a great uh, thought, uh, using metronomes, um, also drumming sequences, or we talked about this in another podcast where exercise that involves uh, people going over obstacles um, or even a laser light or having some lines or uh, things like that that people have to cross over they are very helpful especially for freezing uh, similarly metronomes or sound that is uh, drumming like sounds can be very very helpful for people who freeze because that breaks up the uh, rhythm and sound actually helps you move in a certain pattern and that pattern movement actually is helpful and it's kind of a good exercise to do so those can be very, very uh, helpful. With this couple of exercises that we mentioned, do you have a, a more extensive list of exercises that's good for Parkinson's? 
Right. So I think there are a few important things to keep in mind overall about doing exercise. First and foremost, um, you should check with your doctor to make sure um, that you are safe to do whatever exercise you are going to go into. This is particularly true because most Parkinson patients are over the age of 60 or 65, and your risk factors for cardiovascular illness, chest pain, um, heart disease, etc., could be uh, an important thing to keep in mind before you go into any kind of vigorous exercises. Similarly, um, at that age, you also have arthritis, back pain, etc. It's very common. And so it's important that you don't aggravate any of these underlying other illnesses by just un- uh, going into an exercise program. So just double check with your family doctor or your Parkinson doctor, just to be sure that it's everything is fine before you get into any kind of vigorous exercise. Now, as I, we already discussed before, uh, choosing an exercise that in, involves some level of cognitive involvement, learning something new. So for example, we've discussed tango dancing. Tango does require you to make moves in a certain pattern, which means that you have to learn the pattern. And that involves using your brain to learn a new pattern sequence of movement. And usually that's accompanied by music. So you have to do it uh, in tune with the music. And you also have to make uh, coordinated movements. So dancing requires certain coordination. It's probably true for other types of activity, like tandem biking. When you're biking with somebody else, you have to make the same moves the other person is making. Uh, If you are doing uh, skipping, you have to learn how to make those moves coordinated. Or just simple things such as walking a straight line. You draw a line inside the house, 30 feet long, and you walk one leg in front of the other as if you're doing the drunk driver test. The cop pulls you over and makes you walk the line. The same thing if you did that back and forth, back and forth on the line. That requires you to use... Uh, cognition, meaning thinking and planning, motor planning has to be used. And that allows your brain to reconstruct certain programs that you learned as a child. Now, it's important to go over why this is important to learn. When um, every one of us was a child, little toddler, we learned how to walk. And when we started to learn to walk, we put into our brain certain programs on how we would put our left foot front, right foot front, and then how we would balance our body. And if you have watched a toddler learning to walk, you would observe that the child frequently falls. And then each time the uh, child falls, the toddler falls, uh, the baby gets up and then relearns how to do this. And eventually after a few falls and getting up, uh, the baby puts together a program that the baby is no longer falling and now is walking steadily. Now, we all have such program in our brain to do lots of motor activity, not just walking. It also involves dancing, running, climbing steps, marching, um, all other kinds of activities that we do. We have little programs in our brain to do them well. A classic example of this is when we learn to ride a bicycle. As a youngster, when you learn to ride a bicycle, um, typically uh, mom and dad or somebody, some relative is putting you on a bicycle and usually there's training wheels and uh, you learn to ride the bicycle back and forth. 
But if the child is given the same bicycle and the same instructor and taken through the same route, the child will learn it quickly. On the other hand, if they are put on different, different bicycles on different, different days, and they don't have training wheels or they don't have the same instructor, it will take a long time for the child to learn to ride the bicycle. So consistency, same program again and again and again is what allows you to learn uh, coordinated motor tasks easily. Now, what happens in Parkinson's disease, unfortunately, is that such programmed information in the brain on how to make movements is lost. It's affected by the deficiency of dopamine. One classic example is uh, driving, for example. Uh, you learn that as a 15-year-old, and once you learn driving and you started doing it well, by the time you're 20 or 21, you'd be driving and you can listen to music and watch the scenery to some extent and drive safely. And when you come to a, a stop sign, you look to the left, look to the right, make sure the traffic is okay, and you move forward while still holding a conversation with somebody else. Or even on the phone, nowadays, if you have a, hand, a handless phone on, you, would, you could be talking to somebody and making a big business transaction. Now, how is this possible? This is possible because your brain has stored information on how to drive safely. And it can be seamlessly executed without us knowing anything about it. So this is called executive function, mindless activity done, coordinated manner. These mindless activities, unfortunately, are disrupted in Parkinson's disease. Therefore, exercises that bring back these programs into our brain, bring back programmed activities into the brain, are the most effective exercises for Parkinson's disease. This is why uh, if you walk the straight line and practice it every day, you can have a new program in your head that allows you to have very good coordination, even when you are challenged. So one might ask, okay, Dr. Sub, you're telling me to walk the line. Why should I walk the line? I never plan to do it in my life. I don't plan to be a trapeze artist. I don't plan to be doing some sort of a circus act. Why should I be walking tandem? The answer is you're not practicing to be a trapeze artist. You're practicing for the situation where you might slip. Just regular walking, you might slip. You might hit that slick slot in the ice or you might accidentally step on a banana peel or a drop of oil or whatever. And when that happens, your body will put into the effect the program that you learned when you walk tandem when you walk that straight line and that helps you regain your balance so basically you're programming your brain to overcome such unexpected events where you might slip and lose your balance so on and so forth and that's why you're doing this exercise so doing the same exercise again and again and again is the number one thing about parkinson's disease exercises it is a brain exercise it has nothing to do with muscle. It has nothing to do with our heart, nothing to do with weight loss. It's simply exercise for the brain. So that's the first point. Second point, which is equally important, is what time should you do the exercise? Now, as we all know, and we have discussed this in other podcasts, morning is probably the worst time to do exercise. Why? Because 
your Parkinson medicines have worn off the night you didn't take any of them in the night. First thing in the morning, you're stiff and slow. And even if you took your Parkinson medicine, it takes about 45 minutes for it to start working. And typically, your second dose and third dose gives you more levodopa, carbidopa, or any other dopaminergic medicine. Therefore, later in the afternoon, after your second or third or fourth dose of levodopa, carbidopa, would be the ideal time to do exercise and not first thing in the morning. Now, it's unfortunate that many of the other types of exercises that people do, marathon running, uh, bodybuilding exercises, gym classes, they're all offered in the morning. But in terms of a Parkinson patient, it's ideal if they do exercises later in the afternoon, typically an hour after their afternoon doses of, of carbidopa levodopa. So for example, if you took your medicine at two o'clock in the afternoon, three would be a good time. Or if you're taking medicine at six in the evening, seven would be a good time. So this is a little change in the habits of how people do exercise. Uh, most people try to do exercise first thing in the morning, but doing it later in the evening is probably beneficial for most Parkinson patients. So those are kind of the general recommendations. Obviously, it's also important to hydrate yourself, drinking lots of water, because if you don't drink water in Parkinson's disease, not only your blood pressure goes down, but also constipation gets worse. You are, have dry skin issues, dry mucosal issues. So if you do exercise and you break out in a sweat, you indeed should hydrate and keep your fluids up. So drinking at least two liters of water every day is critically important. So overall, as a summary, I would say, so long as you do the same exercise every day, you pick a good exercise and do it. If you want to be in a group activity so that you're motivated to do the exercise with others, that's great. So rock study boxing is a good one if you want to go that route uh, for the camaraderie and for the friendship and for the group activity. Uh, but you don't necessarily have to pay for it and actually go for such an activity. You can do it by yourself so long as you consistently do it and you're motivated to do it every day. Uh, making sure that you do exercise in the afternoon as opposed to the morning is more desirable because your dopamine levels are better. Also checking with your doctor to make sure it's safe for you to uh, go for exercise is also important. And finally, keeping yourself hydrated and make sure that you don't get dehydrated from the exercise is also very, very important. So I hope uh, that kind of summarizes the overall recommendation regarding exercise. Yeah, one follow-up on that. Do you think that the uh, consistency of walking heel-to-toe by yourself would be better than rock, the uh, boxing? Because you'll be with different people, and it won't always be the same. Right. So in theory, um, doing the exercise by yourself, uh, where you're walking the straight line and consistently doing it uh, the same thing again and again, has an advantage. Now, if you do it as a group activity, and as a group, you do the same activity again and again, you probably get the same benefit. Uh, so in theory, a bunch of people could draw straight lines and everybody could be walking together. Obviously, that's not what happens in rock steady boxing. It's a bit more uh, fun because you're punching a bag and making lateral moves and you know the kinds of things that a boxer would do and gives you, and you also have the uh, problems for that. You have uh, gloves, you have helmet, and, make you look like you're a boxer kind of thing. Uh, so there's 
there's uh, some color to it and that actually makes you feel good. So uh, I say both have advantages and disadvantages. So if an individual is actually going to box, rock study boxing, I don't want them to think, oh, it's a waste of time. They should do it. They should keep doing it. But in addition, if you can add a layer of cognitive exercise where you draw a line in the house and walk the line, uh, I think you will get the benefits of both. And if you can afford to spend the time to do both of them, maybe you go for rock study boxing two or three times a week and uh, every day you walk the line, one leg in front of the other, you could probably get both benefits if you choose to do it that way. But on the other hand, if you don't have the finances, you don't want to go out and pay for the rock study boxing, and you just want to draw a line, walk the steady line, you probably get equal benefit uh, so long as you're motivated to do it. That's a good way of explaining it. So uh, that's what I was going to bring up that I personally, I'm, I'm going to keep the uh, half hour to an hour heel toe walking mm-hmm. as, my, as my standard. And then I'm going to bring up you know, whatever fad comes along or any, any new thing that comes along. I don't have to worry about it being published and uh, the right, the right uh, groups of people being tested. I don't have to worry about that because I'm already covered myself with the half hour heel to toe. That's a good way of thinking about it, Warren. That's a great way to think about it. Okay. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, you, you don't usually bring up my personal things I'm doing, but I, I am going to check out this uh, rock steady back boxing because just more for the enjoyment of it than feeling that it's going to, it's going to do anything because I do religiously the uh, heel to toe walking. Right. And you clearly had some benefit from, from doing it that you yeah. feel, uh, you feel that your balance has improved. Over. Yes, definitely. And just to let you know, in those couple of small studies that they did, not enough to really come out with any conclusion, but they did have, the uh, traditional exercise ended up with better balance and the uh, boxing exercise ended up with better gait. Right. So it's really not, uh, they haven't done enough to really show, but what we've seen, it seems like it's pretty similar. Correct. That, I think that's a nice summary of what the data shows so far. So. Good. Uh, you have anything to add to this? Uh, no, I think we covered it uh, in its completeness. I think uh, it's important that the listeners uh, hear the whole story uh, and take, make their own decisions. And again, um, the motivation for this podcast and what I have to say is because of the uh, increased interest from Rocksteady Boxing and a lot of um, media coverage for this, also local uh, press coverage for this type of activity. I think it's uh, it's a good thing overall, but we should be very careful on how we use that information and how we actually act on it, uh, not just jump into the bandwagon just because there's a lot of media hype around it. Right, because it seems like you see people on the the news saying, if it wasn't for Rocksteady Boxing, I wouldn't even be able to stand up. Right. And that's uh, that's probably not true. Correct, that's right. Good. Well, okay. Good. Thank you for having me, Warren. And I hope uh, everybody enjoys this podcast. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Yep. Bye. Bye.